This is Jason Cass. This is Scott Nearman. We are MP Local, where we want you to know that you are not alone. I'll tell you what, Scott, this business is not easy. It has its own unique challenges. This is not about bottom line only. This is not about profit only. We're about mission and changing communities in the nonprofit world. And that is why we started this podcast called NP Local. All right, all right, all right. Welcome, you local listeners, to another episode of MP Local Podcast, where we are here for you. I'm Jason Cass. And I'm Scott Nearman. And we are here for you. Probably said it wrong, but to all you local listeners, give us the opportunity to say we're sorry. Today is May 6th at 7.45 in the morning, and we have not done one of these in a while. And I'm just going to just tell you right now, it's not my fault. It's all on Scott. And um, he he just, I can't get him, I can't get him doing what he needs to do, listeners. Uh, but I finally got him here. That's a complete lie. Scott and I are busy people. We run large organizations and we kind of just almost have made it, Scott, like a season. Like last, like this was, that was season one. This is season two. What do you think? Yeah, there you go. That works. That works. It's been a busy, busy year. You know, everybody's getting back to some sense of normalcy. And in our office, we've been trying to figure out what a hybrid work arrangement looks like. That's new for, for some of us in the nonprofit world. It's an in-person business, you know? It is. It is. Um, as I speak with my nonprofits, a Golden Circle, a client of ours, we were speaking to out of Indiana, and we were talking about the same thing. They do in-home health care, right? So they're they're not doing the nursing and stuff. What they do is they go in there to actually give a break to the um, the people who are in there watching them, their caretaker, right? Allowing them to go yeah, run rest- some errands and stuff. And it's like COVID. Just because COVID happens doesn't mean that stuff doesn't stop. And sometimes we forget about that, that there's this whole other world out there other than our lives. And we think that, oh, I can't go to work or we can't go in or I have to wear my mask here. And there's people that have to still do their normal job every day face to face with people. Sometimes we forget about that, Scott. We really, truly do. Well, and if they're in healthcare, they're still wearing masks. You know, that's kind of, uh, as I understand how it was 30 plus years ago and uh, probably moving back to that just to limit those hospital-acquired infections and things like that. Totally, totally, totally. And and just always trying to make money where we can. Uh, oh, shoot. Totally should have uh, should have bought stock in that PPE equipment. Just, just if they're going <laughs> to make it. Tesla. That yeah, Tesla. That, that, yeah. <laughs> Twitter, whatever. Hey, dude. Um, so, Scott, man, we've got this uh, donor's bill of rights here. And uh, sounds like really boring. Local listeners, I have another podcast. You can feel free to listen to it, but it would bore you to tears because it's just about insurance stuff. And every once in a while, I do drop F-bombs there. So I do apologize to you. Um, but you probably didn't hear it because we edited it out. So you're wondering what we're talking about. We have this donor's bill of rights right here that you've brought up. Scott, tell, tell the local listeners about this because I, I thought this is kind of interesting. The Donor Bill of Rights was adopted in 1993 by leading uh, professional organizations in the field of fundraising. The Association of Fundraising Professionals, AFP, the Association for Healthcare Philanthropy, AHP, CASE, the Council for Advancement and Support of Education, and then the Giving Institute, which is uh, leading consultants to nonprofits. These are folks uh, that consult, small and large, um, that work directly with fundraisers. And so 
AFP is the overarching, you know, any fundraiser, any type of organization. AHP's healthcare and case is uh, education. And so they came together to develop this Bill of Rights, which is really um, kind of like our United States Bill of Rights. It's what a donor can expect as a minimum treatment, the, the ethical treatment that is truly uh, philanthropic and truly uh, ethical in the field of fundraising. So there are 10 points to this Bill of Rights. And again, we can walk through those, but these are what donors should expect um, to maintain their trust and and to uh, have the credibility, the nonprofit to have the credibility that, that they should have. And in that seems like everybody gets their Bill of Rights today, right? After uh, I think it was uh, it was it was Thomas Jefferson, but I think that's actually been proven that it was somebody else as well that wrote the Bill of Rights. Am I wrong about that? Help me on that. Uh, you, you a history guy? Not not a big history guy, sorry. I'm pretty sure that I'm thinking it might have been Alexander Hamilton as well. So I'll get that for you, local listeners, here in a minute. But it's amazing how 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 um how important that was at that point in time and going forward. Being serious, like the uh, like I was on a plane and they had to get us off after three hours because now there's there's um airplane bill of rights, right? Like there are things that we um have the right to do whether we're using that service or not we should be held to some kind of standard it used to be you could sit out on the tarmac for seven hours right i think i've done that one time maybe not seven hours but like four or five now after three they gotta haul you back they gotta get you off and goodness gracious after three hours sitting in a sardine can so then here now we have the donor bill of rights as you said brought in 93 so i think this is very very interesting so what's the first what's the first couple here well, the first one is to be informed of the organization's mission, uh, the way the organization intends to use its donated resources, and of its capacity to use the donations effectively for their intended purposes. So, obviously, mission is where it all starts. In fact, right. that was one of our earliest podcast episodes here yep. on NP Local, that mission is, is something that needs to be, every activity needs to be aligned with the organization's mission, right? Correct. But the, the part of this I think that's interesting is, and its capacity to use the donations effectively. So a lot of times in nonprofits, there's a real capacity issue, right? And so mm -hmm. this is why volunteers augment staffing. And this is why you've got boards of directors in the smaller organizations must be hands-on, uh, and they're much more involved than a governance-only, a policy-only board. And so we got to have the partnerships in place, for example. Uh, the college where I work has uh, partnerships with local social service organizations to operate food pantries within the college facilities in various communities. Gotcha. And so partner to be sure that those uh, resources can be, uh, the food can be purchased and then uh, distributed effectively. Never so really thought of one. it that way. It's all, about, it's all about partnerships, right? Whether it's a donor and a financial partnership or whether it's an organizational or community uh, collaboration. Buddy of mine, um, he works for a, uh, a big telecommunications company. And when he went in there, they asked him to improve sales and they still had, they already had a sales and marketing department. And what he did for two years is he created partnerships with large agent organizations, right? And he would get into that organization and he would create that partnership. And then he would create that partnership. He just got hired making probably three times the amount of money um, and he was up over $100,000 then. And he got hired by a large organization and they said to him, we don't want you to do anything other than 
go create partnerships because that's where the truth of the growth is today. In the social world that we live in, social partnerships, being partners, relationships, there's what I'm trying to say. The relationship is really what's driving everything today. So it makes sense. Kudos for you on on those uh, food pantries. I ensure a lot of uh, social services that have those. And so that's an interesting thing. I'll have to ask mine here at SIU, like if they have any type of things like that for our local college. That's that's good thinking. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the second point is to be informed of the identity of those serving on the organization's governing board and to expect the board to exercise prudent judgment in its stewardship responsibilities. So, obviously, mission, uh, after you've got a mission, you've got a cause, uh, you form your board, right, if you're, mm-hmm. uh, if you're starting a nonprofit. And so the board is... is uh, in the best case scenario, a governance board, and then you have a staff to uh, carry out operations. And so that governing responsibility is very serious. They have legal responsibilities. They, you know, we buy directors and officers liability insurance to uh, protect mm-hmm. those board members personally and corporately. Mm-hmm. And so they are by law to exercise prudent judgment in all stewardship of of resources. And so. Um, most organizations have their board listed on letterhead or website or both. And so it's important to know that the organization, for example, has more than just family members of the founders. You know, you want, uh, you don't want groupthink. You want a, a diversity of opinion on that board and you want different skill sets on that board, as we've also talked about in a past You episode. see nepotism a lot on these boards and, and a lot of organizations uh, uh, totally. And that's that you're right. That sometimes great traits are passed on, but sometimes... Uh, we kind of get siloed into our thinking. One thing I want to stop here, Scott, and and uh, to all you local listeners, we didn't have this planned, but you mentioned directors, officers, and you mentioned um, about their fiduciary responsibility and other things that they, you know, they. It, it, please understand. Um, you you probably know as listeners listen to this. To be a board member is something that I didn't take seriously when I was in my 20s and someone asked me to be on a local board probably wasn't a big one it was a place for me to get my feet wet but as I sat at those board meetings I realized the implications of my yes or no or or abstaining from a vote right or giving a direction and um, and that really drove that home to me to really like social services because I sit on a lot of boards and what we have to understand it's important for you listeners when we get the directors and officers, we're giving you coverage for wrongful acts. Now, it's important you hear that, wrongful acts. A lot of times, directors and officers' coverage covers you for things that you didn't mean to do. You didn't know. You didn't know any better. I'm a, I'm a full-time nurse. I happen to sit on this board. I made a yes or up-down vote that financially affected the service. Maybe you lost some um, donors' monies, didn't handle it correctly, maybe like number two or number three is saying... But keep that in mind is that that's what directors and officers is there to do, is to protect you for wrongful acts. And I always like to say this, medical malpractice in a way is a wrongful act. The doctor did something doing his or her best and they made a mistake. And so it was a wrongful act, but they don't call it that. They call it medical malpractice, but it's the same thing. So as a board, think of the same thing. You have a fiduciary responsibility to guide and to help the board make the good decisions or as a board member that you would work well with your other people, do your research, your other board members to make good decisions. So just remember that directors and officers is there for wrongful acts. And it's very important that you have it. I would say 10 years ago, hardly anybody had it. Scott, literally 20% of services. Now today it's 
it's the number one reason why we get a phone call in for a new client is, hey, can you help us with that directors and officers thing? That's what we, that's what we always yeah. get. So. And it's big in the corporate world, too. Oh, darn right. Woo. Even bigger. Huge there. That's right. Yeah. So number three, uh, the donor bill of rights. Um, the donor's rights include to have access to the organization's most recent financial statements. Some organizations put an abbreviated version of these in their annual report or on their website, which is often good. And uh, basically, they want to see that you're sustainable. They want to see how your cash flow looks and uh, to be sure that you're not overexpending on uh, fundraising costs and administrative costs. All that's, so that's public information, too. Absolutely, on the Form 990. Yep. The fourth point is to be assured their gift will be used for the purposes for which they were given. And Jason, this is a very short little point here, but it's a very big one. Um, there's a number of lawsuits on donor intent. And my the, the best story, and I, I forget if I've mentioned it on a previous episode or not, the best story I've heard of um, it has to do with Garth Brooks. And Garth Brooks' mother had cancer, I think died of cancer. Uh, he was from Oklahoma. And so their uh, nearby or hometown hospital, he gave a gift of, I believe, a half a million dollars to build a wing and establish the cancer center or to renovate a wing and name it uh, in honor of his mother. This, uh, unfortunately, was a handshake agreement um, with the hospital president at the time. And that, um, of course, didn't get written down. And, you know, my belief is anything over twenty-five dollars or $50,000 better be written down. But really, any Should gift be. of all, 50 bucks, you need documentation as to how it's to be used. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... This was obviously for a very specific purpose and a specific building project, and I've been involved in a number of building projects, renovations. I know these are complicated, lengthy timelines, but at some point, that handshake agreement with a president um, was not honored, and I guess maybe there was uh, staff changes. president moved on. I'm not quite sure if that's if that took place in this instance. I think that's what happened. He ended up moving on and it wasn't documented correctly. So the board didn't mean to. I remember you told me this years ago. Okay. Listeners, him and I have been friends forever, but yeah. So so basically, um, he sued. And so the relationship went south and he ended up getting a million dollars back. So the damages, the, you know, the loss on investment earnings or whatever it was determined. The the lawyers. Yeah, paying the lawyers, ended up a million-dollar settlement for a half-million-dollar gift. No nonprofit wants to be in that situation, whether it's $1,000 or $50,000 or even more. Um, So the the intent of the funds, there's all kinds of case law out there, and it's very important. You know the other thing, though, Scott, if you really think about it, no one wants to be sued by Garth Brooks because that's going to be something that's going to make the headlines. So not only the money did they lose and all the stuff and the dent to their insurance— But you know that they drunk profile. their name through the mud. So, yeah, never good. So the, the fifth one is to receive appropriate acknowledgement and recognition. And this is kind of interesting. I think, it, uh, I think it goes along with the next point as well, which is to be assured that information about their donations is handled with respect and with confidentiality to the extent provided by law. And so some donors we know want recognition. Some will say they don't want recognition, but they love it when you do it. Um, sometimes I've had married couples where, you know, he's okay with it and she's kind of shy about it. But regardless, um, we need to acknowledge and we need to know our donors well enough to know what kind of recognition and acknowledgement they expect at minimum. Just because you don't do a public recognition, you still recognize and acknowledge the gift. Whether Scott, that's I'm a one of those chair. weird ones. I like, yeah. I like, I don't want 
I don't want anybody to know that I gave the gift. I'm one of those dudes. But if you happen to go ahead and say that I did, I'm not mad. But if you don't say anything that I did, okay, I'm cool. But I'm one of, I'm one of those dudes. But if you surprise me and say, Jason said not to say this, but I'm going to say it. I'm like, all right, okay, all right. I gave a million dollars, okay, you know. Right. Joke. No, you didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> Someday, though, right? Someday. 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 You know, a lot of times that that big gift is is at the end of somebody's life, right? It's it's. Yep. The we last got four more to go bit. in four minutes, so we can keep to our twenty minute promise. Well, maybe twenty five today. Let's keep right. moving. So confidentiality is uh, incredibly important. That's course number six, uh, mm-hmm. confidentiality. I think it is not something that um, uh, is a big problem in the sector, but it, it needs to always, we need to not let down our guard on confidentiality. And that means enforcing it among board and staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, point number seven is to expect all relationships with individuals representing organizations of interest uh, to the donor will be professional in nature. So in other words, this relationship is a professional relationship, no matter how friendly you are with with these folks. And so um, I think that that's, you know, that goes along with um, the type of interaction you're having, you know, you're, you're going to lunch together, uh, but you're not, you're not there to build a relationship with yourself as much as you are to connect them to the organization and others in the organization. That's right. Number eight, to be informed whether those seeking donations are volunteers, employees of the organization, or hired solicitors. So they need to know who's coming at them with the ask. Who are they talking to? Um, they got to know that that person has the authority to uh, pledge what they need to, to, to answer questions, to answer questions accurately, and whether they're paid or not. You know, there's real power in volunteer board members and other volunteers, as in a campaign, that are asking because they themselves are a donor. That's a lot right. different than somebody with their hand out that's getting a paycheck from the organization. It's much more powerful. Yeah, as a side note there, $700,000 a year the board members are getting of Twitter. I mean, I, I, there's like seven of them. He, he's like, I'm going to save $5 billion, or I'm going to save uh, uh, $5 million just by getting rid of them. $700,000 a year just the, to sit on Twitter board. The difference between a for-profit and a non-profit. Yeah, that's the difference. <laughs> you get a free that's, dinner. <laughs> and an umbrella on, on yeah, some board, dinner. right? And Golden Corral. And these That's guys right. are getting $700,000. Yeah, sorry. I try to bring Number nine, to have the opportunity <laughs> to have the opportunity for their names to be deleted from mailing lists that an organization may intend to share. Now, I know it's a big business in the nonprofit world, but I don't believe in sharing mailing lists. I just don't. If you only want, under very unique searcher situations will I, but 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 yeah. and, that, and that's only if it's an event I'm putting on and a sponsor paid for that opportunity, right? And then you have to let the attendees know. But I'm not good on that stuff, anyways. I'm with you. Well, good, and I I prefer to communicate with our organization's donors directly. So if there's a message that needs to come through us, we can relay that. But uh, it's true. We don't. No place have I worked that have we sold our lists, but. Folks need to have the opportunity to remove their name from the list Mm -hmm. one way or the other. Whether you're selling a list or not, they need to be able to opt out of mailings. You should have that right. And the last one's to feel free to ask questions when making a donation and receive prompt, truthful, and forthright answers. And that's big, too. You know, with 
resources stretch thin and everybody doing more with less. That's always kind of been true in nonprofits, uh, in my experience. But it's important that questions are answered, donors are responded to, and they get the information they need. Um, you never know. That question may not be um, negative towards you or your staff or your organization. It may simply be to help a donor connect dots in their mind, and, and it could result in significant um, additional support or a positive change in their attitude towards your organization because you explain whatever it is they're they're trying to understand. So whether it's internal processes, whether it's program outcomes, um, whether it's long-term vision, succession planning, answer those questions. Yes, there's business we deal with every day that is uh, maybe not something we can go into detail with the public, uh, board business, for example, but, um, you know, they deserve answers to their questions because they are a constituent. Yes, they are. But here's the deal. We are going to wrap this up. And you have to admit, all you local listeners out there, there is few people that can sit there and tell you the bill uh, donors' rights, all 10 of them, and make it exciting and sexy like Scott and I have done. I mean, it was actually interesting. I might go back and listen to it again. Probably won't because it'll be it'll be another podcast before we talk about this. Anything to wrap it up, Scott? I just think it's important uh, for everybody to know that this exists. Um, in my office, we like to uh, frame this, put this on the wall so that donors see that we have some familiarity with it. They don't necessarily know this is out there, but it's good for them to see that we acknowledge that they have rights, that they have uh, reasonable expectations, and that we're acknowledging that. That's a good point. This would be something to find the color copy and print it off and put it in a little frame on your wall. That's a good point. That's a good point. I think I'm going to I'm going to get my team to send this to our social. Yeah, it's easy to find the PDF out there. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good idea. Those, again, that's AFP, AHP, Case, or the Giving Institute, and I imagine all of them probably have it on their website. They help develop it. That's right. Well, I appreciate your time once again, you loyal local listeners out there listening to us, trying to help you do better inside of your social service, your non-for-profit, uh, whatever it could possibly be. But we are here for you. We want you to know that you're never alone. So I'm Jason Cass. And I'm Scott Nearman. And we are here for you, and you are never alone at MP Local. We are out. We are out.